whole team sees how hard Nick Carver works. And I think we talked about it on Tuesday in the press conference. I mean, the guy's out there early before every practice catching extra balls. He's out there after every practice. And that's why the team, I mean, he had an unbelievable week of practice. He had told his dad last night at the hotel that we do one-on-ones, receivers versus DBs on Wednesday in practice. And he had one of the most impressive periods of one-on-one routes versus DBs that much he's ever had, much less anybody. I mean, he just continues to get better because he works. So, Spencer told All right. Welcome back to the Gamecock Scoop podcast, the official podcast of Gamecock Scoop on GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. Um, that was Shane Beamer following South Carolina's 30-17 to loss on Saturday uh, at Texas A&M. Um, and talking a good bit about Nick Harbour, who by all accounts had, I guess, his like coming out game uh, as a Gamecock if we're looking for uh, bright notes um, after a, what, three-game skid, is it now? Four. Um, Four-game skid, yeah. So South Carolina's lost four straight. Um, any idea where that fits in contextually? Probably 2020 was the last time that happened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, we're going to try to break down a little bit about what, what happened in that game, uh, but also look at, uh, I guess, what we're looking for in terms of success over the next four games as South Carolina comes back home finishes up the season with four straight home games. I mean, you'd have to win all four to make it to a bowl, but I don't know if that even is the the place to start or the place to focus on right now. Uh, I'll say one thing about the bowl thing, and then I'd probably table that for at least two weeks if they won the next two. But yes, they can make a bowl game. No, I don't think this team has your benefit of the doubt or reason to think about that right now. Um, they're two and six. That means they can still go six and six unless they – are starting to get on that path. I don't think you, that's what you need to focus on right now. As for what I would focus on, I think you kind of hit it, started with that quote. Um, you've got four games to find something or find things to launch yourself into next year. And if you accidentally, not accidentally, but if you end up making a bowl as a result, fine. But big picture, Nick Harbor, you know what you got, find different ways to use him. We saw a jet sweep for the first time Saturday. Um, we saw a completely new plan on third down defense uh, Saturday. We saw three down linemen with, you know, Nick Barrett and Jamal Weiss playing nose tackle. Um, we saw Jaron Willis and Ben Martin Scott playing most of third downs for the first time. I thought Willis um, had a pretty good game overall, had that sack in the first quarter. You're just looking at this is kind of what I wrote. If you want to go back and read a longer version of this from Saturday, if you're subscribed, um, you're just looking at new stuff and what how much of that new stuff can actually help you going forward whether or not you actually win these last four games yeah i agree i think the result doesn't matter that much obviously you'd like to make a bowl um even if it's you know a lower tier whatever bowl uh it's not the season already is not going to be like remembered as uh anything great or whatever i guess but it can be the foundation moving forward i think i, I wrote a lot about this in my rapid reaction so much of it is just holding everything together, which I think we've talked a little bit about the past couple of weeks. Obviously, since we last talked, or I guess around when we last talked, uh, Xavier McLeod uh, was dismissed from the team. Um, I, Beamer did talk a little bit about that on Thursday after we talked. Um, if you want to go back and listen to Carolina Calls or, or read about it on our site. Um, but... <laughs> The, the main thing is just making sure that more of those defections don't happen. Again, I'm not blaming the staff for that defection or, or whatever, but uh, just in general, you have to hold the young talent that you have on the team, guys like Nick Harbour that were 
we started the show talking about a little bit. Um, you have to hold those guys together and, and keep your recruiting class together. I will say it seems like so far the narrative is at least still holding together as long as you don't do something crazy and lose to like Jacksonville State or Bandy in the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, I do think there is a, an element of that too of – I don't even want to say don't let the bottom fall out because they're two and six and you could very reasonably argue the bottom has already fallen out. Um but I, I don't think there's any question losing to Jack State or Vanderbilt would be the worst it's been and would probably – even the biggest defenders, supporters of everything right now, I think would at least have to sit up and look at things differently. And it, maybe they already are, but I, I do think there's a for, – for, and we'll talk about Jack State more later in the week, but you are still, for even as much as you've struggled and for how well Jack State's played as a new FBS team, you were still a 13-point favorite Saturday was the number I saw. Like – you should still win this game Saturday. Um, and I guess you're just hoping that kind of gets some confidence back in the building, gets that good feeling back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get too much into like big picture talks, which I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, at the end of the show, let's talk about the game itself. So South Carolina lost 30 to 17. Um, never really felt all that close. I mean, I guess obviously you took a lead in the first quarter. You actually played a really good first quarter all around uh, had one of your best drives of the season on offense, uh, really shut down Texas A&M on defense. We're doing some of those things that you talked about as far as mixing in Deron Willis on obvious passing situations. You sacked uh, Max Johnson Max Johnson three times in the first 12 snaps after only having, I believe, like 12 sacks all season prior to that. Um, so obviously you came out with a good game plan executed it that was working in the first quarter then you had an absolutely disastrous second quarter which is a lot about what you wrote about um what were your overall impressions i guess from that trip to kyle field first time over there and uh what went wrong in the second quarter uh i'll start with the cool stuff kyle field's cool that's the biggest stadium i've ever been in it wasn't even like rocking fully because it was an 11 a.m kick and a&m had won in two games but it's loud the play shakes during the war hymn it's big you're doing normal pregame warm-up stuff, trying to see who made the trip. There's just rows and rows of cadets marching behind the end zones. That's just a normal thing, apparently. Um, it was pretty cool. I would recommend. Uh, I don't know how often South Carolina is going to go out there with the new SEC schedule, but if you haven't been, I'd recommend making that trip um, at least once. As for the second quarter, um, I don't know how much to put on Spencer Rattler, but I do tend to agree most of it. I can understand – it was what we thought it would be. Your offensive line couldn't block. You faced one of the best fronts in the country. It just didn't stay together. Um, no, your quarterback can't take three intentional groundings. Your senior, your guy who should know better, get outside the tackle box before you throw it away. I I get all those things. I said all those things at the time. You can go back and read them. Um, is that the same thing? Or is that better than just taking a hit? I mean... To me, at least two out of three of them seemed like, and of course, this is the perspective of seeing it on uh, film. You know, if you're Spencer Rattler, all you got is the eyes in your in your head, and so you can't necessarily see the the full field the way that the the TV camera can. But it seemed like at least two of three of them, if he just kept running for a minute, he could have at least escaped the box and then thrown it away properly. Does that make a huge difference? I don't know. I mean, it, it was definitely a 
complete drive killer when you had I think it does make a difference on that first one right uh so you had a first and 10 came out throwing and ended up at second and 27 or whatever yeah exactly um and that was the one in particular where when you're watching it on camera the guy that he felt the pressure from actually fell um and if he would have just rolled out again it's it's 50,000 foot view which he doesn't have so um, I'm not putting it all in his shoulders Uh, you see the guy coming you throw it away he just reacted whatever um but I do think if he just like kept it alive a little bit longer maybe you don't make a play on that particular play but you at least give yourself a, a chance on second down yeah I think that's probably where it comes back to too this was something Shane said I can't remember if it was Saturday post game or yesterday on the teleconference but there was just no complimentary football Saturday. And that's just, yeah, all three of those. I think this is the whole football game right here. And I'm not saying it was those three plays, but all three of those drives, Rattler took a grounding. You lost at least 12 yards on the play. Obviously, all three of those times you punt, they were, Shane talked about the answer, they were trying to punt it a little bit shorter to keep a nice miss hands away from a punt return. So now all three times you are punting on fourth and long, you are trying to punt it a little bit shorter. All three times AM gets a short field. They're within 55 yards of the end zone. All three times they score a touchdown. That's 21 of their 30 points right there. So the intentional grounding drives. Is that Spencer's Rattler's fault they lost? No. Am I saying they would have won if he got outside the tackle box on two of those three plays? No. But I also don't think you can look at that game and say it turned anywhere other than that sequence right there. Yeah, and a lot of what I wrote about in the rapid reaction was like getting the little things right, which you obviously have to do on the road as an underdog in the SEC in an environment like that. Um, and a lot of what you mentioned uh, were those little things that went wrong on those those three drives. Not only the intentional groundings, you had some drops mixed in. Mm-hmm. You had uh, twelve men on the field on a defensive play. Yeah, you also had a kick catch interference on one of those punts that mm-hmm. gave A and M another fifteen yards uh, in great field position. Had a personal foul on Strawn on A and M's third down conversion that set up their first touchdown. Yeah, you had several, you had three different receivers drop a third or fourth down uh, catch that would have resulted in a first down. Obviously, Nick Harbour on the first drive. You had a slant to Xavier Leggett uh, in a second half drive and then a fourth down drop to kind of end the game there with Omega Blake. Um, although I, you did get the ball back one more time, but it basically was over at that point. Yeah, and then also I think another one too, um, the snap off Spencer Rattler's shoes, cleats, whatever, on fourth and one. Um you're down 10 at that point. You still got to go down and score and get the ball back. But it was, I think, 10 or 11 minutes to go. And you go yeah, for it. Obviously, get, yeah. you got to go for it fourth and one in that scenario. And I don't I don't even know what the play was called. I don't even know what it would have been. Uh, you the ball never got to see it. Yeah. yeah, you got to fall. You got to fall on it. And then takes over in plus territory and gets more points off that. Yeah. So, and I'm not trying to like daboism it where I'm like, you were three plays away from winning the game or whatever. Um, but it is those little things that add up and you can probably put a lot of that on youth and all those sorts of things. But I do, I did see that Beamer after the game was like a games in, you're not a freshman anymore, right? Like you, at some point you have to just make the plays that you need to make to win the game. Uh, That didn't happen. I do think you have some opportunities against some inferior opponents the next two weeks to kind of learn how to win, which is something that we have talked about a few times uh, throughout the season and you just haven't had very many breaks in the schedule to, to have that other than like the Furman game. Um, so this will at least be an opportunity for some of those young guys to figure out how to put those things together and, and gut out a win or, or whatever. Um, that hopefully will take you forward. But 
I mean, we saw in this four games skid, there were opportunities spread throughout it. Really, in every game that South Carolina has lost this year, uh, there were opportunities spread throughout it, and you just haven't taken advantage. Yeah, and before we kind of transition to some big picture stuff, what is your opinion on the defense Saturday? Because it looks bad, and it's 30 again. That's, what is that, five weeks in a row giving up at least 30 points. Um, I thought they hung in there. I guess you did hold them to three field goals. It could have been a lot worse. Um, I don't know. What was your kind of overall take on the defensive performance? I mean, it, it looks the same as it's looked all season, I guess. Uh, they play pretty well on first and second down and can't get off the field. Um, they A&M, I mean, again, it's tough because it's like fourth and inches, but A&M was four for four on fourth down. Uh, South Carolina also gave up a third and 17 and a third and 12 that mm-hmm. turned into scoring drives eventually. Um, I mean, they're fine they played really well in the first quarter i guess let's give them credit there um but i don't i can't quite put my finger on what's broken because it seems like everything in like each unit either plays has some outstanding plays and has some like could completely scratch your head plays um and i guess it's back to that complimentary football point that we're talking about there's no one there to kind of fill the gap when things go wrong i'm i think a perfect like microcosm of that is I believe is a third down run that Texas AM scored a touchdown on. It was like a 14 yard run. Yeah. Um, Stone Blanton forced the, the ball back inside. Um, now, granted, I think he probably got a little bit out of position, but forced the ball back inside. Ideally, you'd have a safety filling that gap once he's DQ it back inside. Um, and he's not there. And yeah. I think there's just so many of those moments where like individuals are having a nice game or a nice series of plays or whatever. Um, but as a unit, it's just not working. Yep. I think that's probably as good a place to leave it as any. One thing we haven't talked about in the game yet is O'Donnell fortune was suspended for the first half. Um, Beamer said it was not legal or anything, and but it was in a violation of athletic department policy. So you had judge Collier playing more snaps than he ever has in his career. He played the entire first half, obviously, but then also a little bit in the second half, once uh, Marcellus Isle got dinged up, although he did turn to the game later. I thought Judge Collier played pretty well. A couple freshman moments, but he hung in there. He didn't look lost. He didn't look out of place. And then I, I don't even want to like single someone out, but the play in the fourth quarter, I think, does deserve a little bit of discussion here. You cut it to seven. You get a, you get a negative play on first down. So AM's behind the chains. Pass to the sideline. O'Donnell Fortune kind of just doesn't had a you know what it's like you, yeah I mean you probably I know exactly had better, what you're talking about you yeah. had a better look than I did that was the opposite sideline that press box is eight stories high at AM but uh it's that it's just tough. can't happen it's tough to like you said it's tough to single out one player one player whatever but that was an effort play that yep. you just didn't yep. make um and I don't know if you can draw anything larger from that about uh fortune himself or even the defense and their mindset or, or anything. Um, but that is one of those winning plays and it's, it's like something very small, but he didn't follow through with his feet to push the defender out of bounds. And the guy runs for another 20 yards uh, as a result. That's a, that's a play where you're in position, you have everything set up the way you need to. And it's just effort really. Yeah. Effort. I mean, that, that to me is the one thing that maybe that's how you transition this conversation to the big picture stuff. That to me is the only thing that really can't happen in November is more of that, more things where you look and go, it's effort. It's not just effort, but effort from one of your more experienced players, a guy who started at the beginning of the year, not a true freshman. Um, that just 
that one, I think that, that, that one really bothers you if you're a South Carolina fan, maybe even more than the, the groundings or maybe some of the other mistakes, just the football related stuff. Um, it did make me wonder if Judge Collier should have been back in the game in the fourth quarter for OD. And if Judge Collier should play more down the stretch anyway, as a guy you are count, going to be counting on heavily next year. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be kind of interesting. I mean, I'm looking at their PFF grades right now. Judge Collier played 48 snaps. O'Donnell Fortune played 23 snaps, but uh, Collier on basically double the snaps uh, with a 60 grade, while OD Fortune's at a at a 50 grade. So um, pretty big gap there. Obviously, that's one game you'd need to see that play out over the course of a season, whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I, at this point remind me oh i mean fortune would be back next year too though right yeah he was a redshirt junior or something um but uh yeah i mean i i think you have like a good problem in the secondary um with all of the talent but there needs to be a little bit of more of a like short leash i guess if you have all of that talent like we there's plenty of names back there that we believe are good players um dq smith another one that comes to mind that maybe isn't having his best season um yeah at some point you at least move on to the next guy and let him see i don't know it's like they're that actually brings us to a little bit of a wider point too so saw jaron willis make some plays after really not being a factor at all uh, at this point of the season um seeing nicholas harbour get his first start um after that shaky start stepping up uh seeing um mario anderson continue to look like an sec quality running back had another good game uh had another good game on for for pff rating standpoint as well is there any question i guess in your mind about whether or not the best people uh are being put in the position to succeed on the field i guess um now with all of those guys those are like young freshmen or transfers or whatever so there's an argument to be made that maybe they got better as the season went along and then they were rewarded for that yeah Um, but do you think that there's an argument to be made that some of those guys should have been playing sooner Yes, I do. I think if you kind of want to just do it this way and you kind of look at those starting lineups from North Carolina, Furman. All right. Well, like Jackson Hughes probably should have been your left tackle to start the year. You probably got that one wrong. Um, I think we, I think you can clearly see now that DeCarry on Joyner wasn't a running back and never had been before, which we knew going in. Mario probably should have had those those carries early. But then there's also the argument that maybe he needed a month to get his feet wet to understand D1 football. Um, I I'm not going to sit here and say they'd be six and two right now if they had made a three different personnel decisions in September. I don't think that's fair. Um, but I also think maybe the way to go about this is the staff held on a little bit longer than they should have with some of these guys, some of the rotational stuff. And that you saw them change the offensive line pretty quickly. They made some changes week two after week one. Um, maybe there should have been some changes sooner at some spots. But I, I again, I wouldn't say that you're looking at a, a 10 win season here if you started some different guys week one. Yeah, and obviously I'm playing a little devil's advocate. Sure. I've seen that that question kind of floating around on mess- on our message boards and on uh, social media and stuff. I tend to agree with you. I think most of those guys needed um, the time to kind of settle in before they – and they wouldn't have looked as good as they looked the past couple of weeks, six weeks ago or whatever. Um, 
as you bring up Joiner, I think another, I guess, positive and something that you should continue to see down the stretch uh, is saw him in the Wildcat, uh, yeah. scored another touchdown from the Wildcat uh, this past week. I think that that's, I mean, where he really excels. He does have a nose for the goal line. Uh, we've seen that over the course of his entire career, really, uh, running out of the Wildcat. Um, and really having him and Mario on the field at the same time, I think, is a, a, a good way to get your run game going. Honestly, I feel like you feel kind of comfortable with where your run game's at at this point. Um, if you want to take another positive from the last three or four games, uh, it seems like you've really figured that out and solidified it. <laughs> On the flip side, uh, injuries to Xavier Leggett, injuries to uh, Juice Wells, who you haven't had all year, injury now to Trey Knox, um, your receiving game starting to, I guess, suffer <laughs> a little bit. Um, from the triage unit that you've got on offense. Nick Harper did step up, have a pretty good game, didn't score a touchdown. Um, I think he, at this point, would make a really good wide receiver too um, if you could have Leggett back at 100% or whatever. But um, obviously he wasn't moving at 100% on Saturday. Is there – I know this is kind of going against um, maybe logic because he did score a red zone touchdown against Furman. Um is there anything to the idea that Nick Harbour might just be a little bit better with more grass in front of him? Just the speed, the agility, the shiftiness. Like maybe you get the condensed field and some of the things that make him dominant are a little bit harder to exploit. Is there anything to that? Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, we, I mean, we talked earlier in the season, I guess, that like you have to at least take a deep shot every game. Yeah. But that, that's uh, what I mean, though. Yeah. Like you give your track, your potential Olympic level track star. 60 yards of grass to get open instead of 10 and there's yeah. more of a way to exploit an advantage. Maybe that's kind of goes and into why he's not scoring touchdowns. I don't I mean, know. I'm just throwing it out there. I agree. And the less percent, less percentage throws and stuff. There was a, uh, a ball thrown up to him, I believe in the end zone or right. Like yeah, in the red it. zone, whatever um, that he had a shot at and just didn't come down with. So um, yeah, it's not going to be perfect. I think that probably in the next couple of weeks, we'll see him, uh, start to score a little bit, a few more touchdowns, especially against some opponents that he should be able to just physically out, outmaneuver. And I guess that's a, another wider point uh, to this game is I don't think anyone would argue that South Carolina was the better team across the board on Saturday, um, but they continued to fight and had the right attitude and, and all of those sorts of things. So I don't know, like, do you come away feeling worse uh, after this last weekend than you did heading into it or kind of the same, a little better? Uh, are you excited about the future? I don't know. Uh, same for me personally. I don't think you can – I don't think you saw anything that makes you feel really, really better. I mean, even Nick Harbour, like, he played well, but you knew he had it in him. Like, he's, you've kind of seen the flashes already. Um, I think you feel about the same as you did coming out. But I think the only thing that makes you feel really better right now about 2024 is holding the recruiting class together which is no reason to think that won't happen, but holding the class together and then at least talking about it like before the portal opens, just like between now and the end of, no say the end of November, um, some wins and some plays from some freshmen. I mean, how good would it feel if you're a South Carolina fan, if you saw a judge call your interception and a Nick Harbor touchdown next week, more than anything else on the scoreboard. Like you need that kind of stuff, I think, just to feel good about it. Um, and again, yes, you can still make a bowl. I think that kind of stuff, is maybe more what you're looking for at this point than can this team win four games, four more games. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, somewhat time to start turning the page. Yes. Um, it'd be nice to get up 
on a big lead one or both of these next two weeks and see some Lenora sellers. Um, by the way, we didn't mention this, but we did get uh, South Carolina got their first 2025 uh, commitment. Lenora's brother, Jaden Sellers, uh, who plays wide receiver. Um, that happened over the weekend. So a little little, little good news uh, that was very much needed in this time. So what we were just talking about, though, kind of transitions me. I put this on uh, the Insiders Forum. You can go uh, put your opinion in there if you like. There's already a pretty good discussion going. But uh, Barrett Sally, Sally, I never know how to say his name, um, from CBS on Saturday tweeted, Shane Beamer has done a good job getting South Carolina back on the map, but this team has just been decimated by injuries. I think he can still keep the program relevant in the new look SEC. This is just a lost season. And I guess I wanted to gauge on uh, your reaction to that that tweet and how much you agree or disagree with it. Is it simply just injuries and like, let's just wipe the, the slate clean and everything's going to be fine if you didn't have all these injuries? I'm not going to say wipe the slate clean. I don't think you can go into next year not thinking about this year, if you know what I mean. Like, you're still going to have whatever this team's final record is in the back of your mind. Um, slate clean, no. I think you can willingly go into 2024 ready to roll the dice again or feel okay about this, depending on how the offseason goes, what your situation is next year, especially skill position, but that includes quarterback. If who's you know going next year, if we think it's going to be sellers, okay. Um, that's, I guess that's kind of where I second. Yes, this is a bad season. I think you can write the season off as a lost one. Um, I wouldn't crumble the Shane Beamer era, but I also think if you go out and do this again next fall, I think you can't just ignore what happened this one. If it ends up stacking two in a row, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, we've talked in the off season about whether or not there was really anything you could do to avoid this cliff at offensive line um compounded by the injuries i don't think that there was much of a way to fix it just based on the way the roster construction was when he got here you had like 10 guys that still had like three years of eligibility left um they all left at the same time it was tough to get a fresh recruiting class of all o-linemen in until 2023 which they did but they're all freshmen um and then you've recruited really well for 2024 so like there's hope for the future and i don't know how much of the personnel at least at that position uh is to blame on the staff i do think there are other arguments to be made for other positions maybe and the way that the, the things went in the portal last year uh that can you know sort of fall on their shoulders or whatever um but i i don't know it doesn't feel like a time to throw it all in the trash. I guess, I guess here's, I would open-ended question this for South Carolina people. This is going to take a second, but just game it out with me. If you're sitting here week one next year, I think they're playing Old Dominion in the opener next year. This sit week one next year, and you've got Lenora Sellers, a quarterback, Babalade, Trobon, and maybe at least one or two or three big linemen coming in starting probably, next year. Probably Marky Anderson, too. Who, and Marky, okay. Yeah. So do your line that way. Jason Henry. I mean, you. Nick Harbour and Tyshawn Russell, yeah. at least as two of your receivers. Judge Collier and uh, Jalen Kilgore. Nick's, Nick Eamon Worry, DQ Smith as four of your DBs. Stone Blanton, Pup Howard. Like, if I read out that starting lineup to you, you don't feel bad, I don't think. I'm not saying you're going to go 12 and 0 next year, but like, I don't think you would. If I read out that lineup to you for a week one, 2024. You would probably, A, what's the depth look like? You'd ask about what's behind them, which fair. And But B, I think you'd at least feel some excitement just about what might be coming, right? I could be wrong. I mean, I, I put it out, but 
I tend to agree because we did, I mean, just earlier in the show, talk about how we've seen some individual performances and it just hasn't all come together collectively. A lot of the names you mentioned, a lot of those individual performances have come from very young uh, players. So one of the advantages to playing all this youth this year is what it looks like next year. I mean, obviously, even though I think Lenora Sellers is going to be very successful, Spencer Rattler has been playing like an NFL quarterback for most of the season. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of a drop off there, but if you get better offensive line play, that probably evens out. I mean, right? You, even with him playing as good as he's played, it's been almost impossible to get consistency going on off on the uh, on offense uh, throughout an entire game once he's you know been been forced to, into passing situations. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're all on the same page, or we're both on the same page at least that it's kind of wait and see time for at least one more year. Um, I think that the injuries are legit, especially on a, an already thin roster. Uh, it's been, especially at, on offensive line, it's been devastating uh, for the way that the roster w- was constructed going into this year. The last question, I think, I don't think that you need to make any changes as an offensive coordinator. I think you've seen enough improvement from last year to this year to give Loggins another shot or whatever. Um, your points per game are higher than oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I do wonder if there's any scenario where Clayton White's going to end up thrown under the bus at the end of this year. Do you think that it's like to the point that uh, the fan base or the board or whoever wants a little bit of blood uh, following a disappointing season? Uh, if this ends the way I think we think it's going to, and that they lose at least one more game, maybe you lose two of these games in November, you finish four and eight, like. Yeah, I think it would, I think it would probably have to. Yeah, and and that's the thing that I personally I, were you here? No, you weren't here yet when we were talking about Frank Martin and and that whole transition. But um, I re- I am not a fan of firing people just to you know <laughs> uh, appease the bloodlust of the fan base or sure. whatever. And I, I do think maybe somewhat that's what happened in that scenario whatever, but I could see the argument as well. And that's kind of where I'm at with this Clayton White thing is like, I don't think he's a bad defensive coordinator. I think he's gotten a good bit out of what you could the first few years, but now we're in year three. I I think talent is pretty elevated across the board, except for maybe, uh, you know, some of the defensive linemen that you lost last season to the portal and to the draft. I just I don't I'm trying to decide how much of it's falling on his shoulders. I think to me the thing is though you almost have Shane likes to use the phrase, you know, we're judged on 12 Saturdays a year. You've played eight games this year, given up 30 points in six of them. Like I think it just you kind of got to begin and end right there. I think we'll this happens in November, but it, if you're purely looking at like on paper statistics, uh there's an argument to be made for sure. Um and maybe at the end of the day, that's all it boils down to is the results so yeah and even like this week like can you it, 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 i don't know like i said we're sad like your bar this week is can you keep jackson under 30 that'd be something they haven't done since the georgia game like yeah we're gonna talk a good bit more about jacksonville state uh throughout the week here but do, what do you know about them at this point i guess seven and two uh, transition program from FCS to FBS, so they're not eligible to play in a bowl game. At least I don't believe they have a waiver or anything. They're in a year once. They couldn't even get a waiver anyway. So they're not eligible for the postseason, so this kind of all that's left for them is an SEC, an SEC game, a chance to spoil someone else. Um, 
good offense, deep running game, a very typical, you know, Rich Rodriguez kind of scheme. You go back to his West Virginia days. Um, talented team, but I think if you want to just look at this way, I think we're going to end up talking about this week, saying a lot of the same stuff we talked about Furman week, like talented team playing well at its level, but their linemen are still 30 or 40 pounds lighter than yours, and you should be able to push them around. Yeah, their schedule's been pretty easy relatively as well. I mean, not to take anything away from them, they've had a pretty smooth transition to a new level of football, which uh, all credit to them. But when they've played the two upper echelon teams in their conference, Coastal beat them 30 to 16 and Liberty beat them 31 to 13. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a t- it's a game that South Carolina should be favored by t- two touchdowns in like they are. Uh, it'll be fun to do the Gamecocks versus Gamecocks thing, thing all week. Um, I believe uh, they play Sandstorm at their games, too. So. Do they really? Actually, <laughs> I, I think that's right. So, uh, you know, that may not be quite as intimidating uh, as I normally would be because they're they're used to it or whatever. But it should be a fun weekend. Um, yeah, we'll have plenty more on that as we get closer to the end of the week. Uh, Alan will still do a lot of the pregame coverage. And then Alan will be in Paris this weekend uh, to cover the women's basketball game against Notre Dame. So we'll have intern Peyton uh, covering the game on Saturday. And myself, um, and I think Alan will probably be checking in some um, for Paris as well. So don't worry, we're still going to have all of the coverage. Um, but yeah, we'll be back here at the end of the week to talk more about that game and the rest of the season, the four-game home stretch on the podcast. Uh, we will have plenty of coverage on GameCockScoop.com. And in the meantime, we'll see you later.